Good morning. It's good to be back with you again today, and great you're having Bible school. Man, that's fantastic. Do you realize that most of the people who are one to the faith in Christ at Southern Baptist churches come in Bible school? So it's a great evangelistic opportunity. And I know that some of you will be working this week and that some of you will be, or no, let's change that. All of you, hopefully, will be praying for the Bible school and for what takes place in it. And if you would, turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll begin reading in a few moments with the first verse. God wants us to know Him in a personal way. God wants to make Himself known to us. He is the God who wants us to have a personal relationship with Him. And if you look at the Scripture, you will find that God makes that very clear. Jesus, in John chapter 17, pointed that out for us when He said to God, Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's the essence of what our faith is all about, knowing God. Not just knowing about Him, but knowing Him. And then if you look at Ephesians 1, if you found Ephesians 2, last week we looked at verse 17. Remember this is that we may know Him better. So, we begin the Christian life by coming to know God, and we advance in the Christian life as we more and more know Him better. Now, that sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? And yet, it's something that many people don't understand. People have a lot of different ideas about God. You know, some people see God as an angry judge. Some people see God as a benevolent grandfather. Some see him as a glorified man. One of the things that seems to be popular today is for people to say, well, there are a lot of different religions in the world, and I like what it says about God in that one, and I like this over here, what it says about God in this other one, and they'll take from two or three different religions and pick out several different things and paint themselves a picture of God. And, and usually it turns out to be kind of a, what suits them so that they're making God in their image instead of realizing that God made us in His image. So, so we need to come to the place where we know God, and that is something personal. You know, you may know about a, a politician or an actress or an athlete, but you know your family members and your close friends. And the reason that you know them instead of just know about them is because they choose to reveal themselves to you. They share what they are like with you. They open themselves up so that you can get to know them. God seeks to do the same thing with us. He wants to open Himself up so that we can understand who He really is, so that we can really know Him. Now, God revealed Himself in the creation, so we know something about God in creation. He revealed Himself in history, especially the history with the, He had with the Jewish people. He revealed Himself in Jesus Christ by coming to live among us. God Himself in our midst. Today, we understand fully what all of those things mean because we have the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God the Bible is the revelation of God. It's through the Bible 
that we can understand what He's saying to us in creation. It's through the Bible that we understand what He's saying to us in history. It's through the Bible that we understand what He's saying to us through Jesus. So if you really want to know who God is, and if you really want to let God reveal Himself to you, you could turn to the Bible. This morning we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. And as we do, notice the things that this passage tells us about God because it's God revealing Himself to us. The Scripture says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at that time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparably, incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now think with me for a few moments what this passage says. First of all, this passage tells us that God is a God of wrath. God is a God of wrath. Now, we have a hard time understanding that in our day and time. We like to always think of God as a God of love, and He is. But He is also a God of wrath. And if you look at this verse, it says that His wrath is because of our sin. His wrath stands against our sins and transgressions. You know, a lot of times the world likes to say sin's fun. You know, sin, sin is just fun. It's just something light. It's just something frivolous. And yet sin is deadly. Sin is deadly. The Scripture says the wages of sin is death. You work on a job, you get paid a wage. You sin, you get paid a wage. And that wage is eternal death. Eternal separation from God. Separation from the source of life. The wages of sin is death. He starts off there at verse 1, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. Sin doesn't bring life. Sin doesn't add to life. It brings death and takes away from life. Sin also keeps us from understanding who God is. We don't have that understanding, that spiritual understanding that we need. Second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the Scripture says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Until you have the life of God within you, you are open to God's revelation to you, you don't understand the things of God. 
They don't make sense to you. That's part of being dead at our sins. Then notice he said, you followed the ways of the world. Now, you're living like the world wants you to live and following the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. In other words, Satan. Satan tries to get us to disobey God. He lies to us. He deceives us. He entices us. He pushes us in certain directions that are away from the direction God wants us to go. When we're still in our sin, we're under his control. Most of the time, we don't know it. C.S. Lewis said, people don't know that the devil is there even when he has them by the throat. And that's the way he works, deceptively. And then he, he talks about here the cravings of our own sinful nature. When Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered to the world, and, the, and that sinful nature passed on to all of us so that we have a sinful nature and we live in the midst of sinful people and so we're continually falling into sin. And as we fall into sin, we are thinking the wrong thoughts. We're letting Satan stir up our emotions in the wrong way and about the wrong things. Our wills are weak so they can't choose to do what's really right. We're dead in our transgressions and sin and there's nothing we can do about it ourselves. What can a dead person do for himself? Nothing. We're dead in our transgressions and sins, and that's why the wrath of God is coming on the world. God is a holy God. God is a just God, and he has to deal with sin. Now, you see his wrath throughout the Bible. You see it with Adam and Eve being kicked out of the Garden of Eden. You see it in the flood of Noah's day when the whole world was so unrighteous that God could tolerate it no longer except for Noah and his family. You see it when Israel got to, had to wander through the wilderness for 40 years because they wouldn't obey God. You see it when the Jewish people got carried into captivity because they kept turning away from God, making their own rules, serving other gods. And if you think it's just an Old Testament thing, you are mistaken. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, Paul wrote, For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes upon those who are disobedient. God is one day going to establish perfect righteousness. And to do that, he has to destroy unrighteousness. God one day is going to establish perfect justice. And to do that, he has to destroy injustice. Think of it this way. God wants to establish heaven. He wants to establish heaven where we can live the blissful existence that he has wanted us to live to begin with. But he can't do that as long as sin exists in any form, in any one, and that's why there's a hell. God is a God of wrath because he's going to establish righteousness and justice and he will be glorified above all forever. But that's not the end of the story. 
because God is also a God of love. Look at verse 4. It says, but because of His great love for us, God has a great love for us. In Psalm chapter 103, we find the words that indicate that. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. God has love for us. Not just love, a great love. And that love is a caring love. As a father has compassion on his children, he has compassion on us. It's a caring love. Simon Peter says, cast all your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. God is one who gives us that caring love and that concerned love. God is also the one that not only gives us a love that cares, He gives us a love that perseveres. And as that love perseveres, excuse me just a moment, first day to wear this and it's getting loose. <laughs> that love perseveres. He wants us to persevere. And so Simon Peter said, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He wants to preserve us. It's a preserving love. And it's a love which is active. You've probably known John 3.16 from the time that you were a child. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. He is the God who takes action. And He took the action by giving he saw us in our need, and He gave His Son. And He loves us with a sacrificial love. John, the beloved disciple who knew about love, was the one that Jesus loved, wrote in 1 John chapter 4 about that kind of sacrificial love. He said, this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loves us, and so He wants us to be able to live. Then notice what else it says. God, who, because of His great love for us, is rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. He gives His mercy to us. Again, from Psalm 103, there's a verse that reminds us of this. He does not treat us as our sin deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. You know, we deserve death and hell. God doesn't give it to us. He wants to give us life. That's why He gave Jesus. That's why Jesus is that atoning sacrifice. He wants to redeem us. He wants to rescue us. And not treat us as we deserve, but bless us. Any of you remember Jerry Clower? Some of you do. Jerry Clower could tell the funniest stories in the funniest ways. And I can't attempt to tell a story as like he told it, but I could give you the gist of one he told one time. Seems that there was a woman who had 12 children, lived way out in the country. One day she missed one of them. Her son, who was about eight years old, she thought, I bet he walked down the road to that construction site. And so she walked down the road to the construction site, 
And sure enough, he was there. After walking around a few minutes, she found him. Somehow or other, he had gotten the lid off a barrel of roofing tar, and he was down in it. She walked over to him, grabbed him by the collar, picked him up and just held him up and looked at him up and down. She said, boy, it'd be easier to have another one than to clean you up. You ever think God feels that way about us? You know, we get into such stuff. You know, he thinks maybe it'd just be easier to start over and have somebody else. But because of his mercy, he just cleans us up. Gives us a brand new start. He is a God who is rich in mercy. And then Paul starts to talk about grace. He starts to talk about grace. God, because He is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. Grace, free gift. Notice what he says. God raised us up. We were dead in our transgressions and sin, and because of His grace, God raised us up. And, and he says He raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realm. I like that idea of being seated with. It's kind of like, you know, you've got reservations at a restaurant and you get there and everybody else is waiting in line, but you've got a reservation and you go in and you get seated. Or even a vector picture, you have a seat around the table at home. There's a place reserved for you. And that's a good picture of what heaven's like. There's a place reserved for us at Christ's banquet table. And then he says in verse 7 that he wants to show us the riches of his kindness for eternity. The kindness of Christ. You remember the kind of life that Christ lived? You know, he was kind to people. He was kind to people who were going through bereavement. He was kind to people who were hungry. He was kind to people who were sick. He was kind to people who were misguided. He was kind and he wants to show us the riches of his kindness for all eternity. Because of His grace. And then He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You understand what that's about? You understand what He's saying? You've probably been in church a long time. Maybe you understand it. But maybe you don't understand it. Maybe you don't fully understand it. Maybe you understand it with your head, but not your heart. Let me do something. You, you can dim the screen. I just want to share something with you. I want to share something with you personally. Something that happened in my life when I was a, a young man. I grew up going to church. My mother started carrying me to church when I was about six weeks old. So I, I grew up going to church. When I was in my childhood years, listening to the sermons at church, you know, Sunday school lessons, realizing that I was a sinner, realizing that I needed God's help in life, you know, I asked Jesus to be my Savior. When I was about oh, 12 or 13, God started calling me into the ministry. And... Uh, by the time I was a senior in high school, I accepted that. When as a ministerial student, 
first to North Greenville because I couldn't afford to go to Furman, and then later after I finished North Greenville going to Furman. But uh, when I got to Furman as a ministerial student, I got to watching the other ministerial students. And I thought, hmm, they seem a little more devoted than I am. You know, they, they seem more spiritual than I seem. Maybe there's something the matter with me. Maybe there's something the matter with my salvation. And I got to thinking about that, and I got to thinking about that, and I thought, what if I'm not saved? What, what, if, what if one day I have to experience the wrath of God? And I got depressed about it. And the longer I thought about it, the more depressed about it I got. And I had tried to be good, and I wasn't as good as I thought I needed to be. And I thought, you know, this, I, I just kept getting more and more depressed. And if, if you've ever been depressed, you know that's not a good place to be. Finally, I got depressed enough, I decided I was going to have to do something, so I went to talk to another student. Now, this student was an older student. He had been out in the world for a while and then come back to school, and I trusted his judgment, and I observed his life, and I went and told him what was going on and how I felt. And he listened for a while, and we talked for a while, and finally he said, you know, Ken, you asked God for salvation, didn't you? And I said, yeah. He said, well... If you're not sure he's given it to you, why don't you ask him something for something that you know he did will give it when he gave it to you, when he gives it to you? And I thought, that seems a little presumptuous to me. I don't think I'll do that. But time went on, and I was still depressed. And I thought, well, I guess I will do that. Now, I was putting myself through school. I was working 25 hours a week at a supermarket and finances were really tight, and I needed a new pair of shoes, and I couldn't afford them. And I thought, well, I'll ask God for a pair of shoes. So I prayed for a pair of shoes. And I knew how God was going to answer that prayer. He was going to fix it so I could work a few more hours and earn enough money to buy those shoes. Well, about that time, the pastor of my home church said, Ken, I'm going out of town during the week. Will you do a prayer meeting for me? I didn't feel like it, but I did a prayer meeting for him. We had the prayer time. We had a devotional. And after prayer meeting was over, a man in the church I'd known for years and years and years came up and said, Ken, come outside. I want to talk to you. And we went outside and stopped by his vehicle, an old Volkswagen van. And he said, you know I've only got one child, and he wants to go to college. And he said, you know, I work at a textile mill, and I'm not making enough money to be able to send him to school. So he said, you know, I, I have started a second job. And he reached over and he opened the doors of that Volkswagen van and he said, I'm selling shoes. <laughs> it was full of shoes. He said, pick out any pair you want. I'm giving them to you. God gave me a gift. No, not a gift. Several gifts. He gave me the gift of a pair of shoes, but he also gave me the gift of salvation. Because I knew then, when I asked for salvation, He gave it to me as a gift. I didn't have to earn it or deserve it or be good for it or measure up to what somebody else was doing. He just gave it to me because He's a God of grace. And He gave me the gift of being able to understand what grace really is. His free gift out of His love, and out of His mercy, He gives the gift of eternal life. And it's ours by grace. It's a gift. We just have to accept it. 
Now, that doesn't mean we go out and live our lives like we please, because he goes on in verse 10 here and says, for once we establish that relationship with God, he begins to work in our life, and he creates in us a new person so that we're not like the old person anymore, and he gives us the opportunity to work with him in doing good works. So that, you know, when we see somebody who doesn't know the Lord, we can try to pray for them or we can witness to them. Or if we see somebody who is hungry, we feed them. Or if they need clothing, they clothe, we clothe them. Or if they need instruction, we, we teach in Bible school or something. You know, we, we do good things, but it's because of our nature and not because we're trying to earn salvation. Understand God wants a personal relationship with you. And it's not based on your merit. It's not based on your goodness. You're dead in your sin and transgressions until you open your life and let God come in and through Christ make you alive. Maybe you need to do that today. Maybe you've heard about the love of God and the wrath of God, and the mercy of God, and even about the grace of God. But now you understand. God's opened your eyes so that you can spiritually understand that He's a good, living, gracious God revealing Himself to you and drawing you to Himself. And maybe today you will say, I need that. I need that forgiveness. I don't want to be separated from God and hell for eternity. I want to be with Him and experience His kindness and His goodness for eternity. And so today you would say yes to Jesus and let Him come into your life and begin that personal relationship that will go on forever and ever and ever. Maybe you've done that in the past, but you would just like to rededicate yourself to a God who's revealed Himself to you and drawn you to Himself, and blessed you with His love and His mercy and His grace over and over and over again. So as we sing our invitation hymn this morning, here's your opportunity to be open to that relationship, to come not to just know about God, but to come to know God personally through Jesus Christ, His Son. Maybe... You need to just come in rededication, expressing your devotion and your willingness to work for the Lord who's given you salvation. Listen to God. You know, He speaks to us. He draws us. He stirs our hearts. And we know that that God of love is pulling us to Himself. And if you feel that heart tug this morning, won't you respond as we stand and sing?